You are learning to humble yourself before the Lord, to seek Him with all your heart. And if you will live your life that way, His presence will fill you inside and you will take His presence with you when you go home. And then, living a blameless life will not be that difficult. The word means to offer up to God as a sacrifice, to place something on the altar and dedicate it completely to God. The word is consecration, and we are commanded in the New Testament to consecrate ourselves to God. Today we're asking the question, what role does consecration play in freedom from porn? I'm your host, Jim Lewis. This is Purity for Life. Glenn Meldrum was a pastor for over 14 years and for over 25 years has been an itinerant evangelist, traveling across this nation and in countries throughout the world, preaching the uncompromising Word of God. He shares with us today about the vital role consecration plays in the life of the committed Christian. Our conversation today is on the subject of consecration, and specifically, what role does consecration play in a man gaining freedom from pornography and sexual sin? And I want to start by asking you to define the term for us. Perhaps many Christians don't understand the word consecration, what the Bible means by consecration, so uh, give us a definition. Well, consecration is different from sanctification. Sanctification is what God is doing in the person to set the person apart, where consecration is the person's choice to set themselves apart. Mm. And so it's dedication to service and the worship of God. And so there's the choice of the will, that the individual must decide to do this. Now, we are commanded to live separated lives. We are commanded to live uh, a life that is dedicated unto God for his service and his glory. And it's a command, it's a call, and it becomes our responsibility. But this is the responsibility of anyone that wants to be a true follower of Jesus. This is not an option. Either we live a consecrated life and are a follower of Jesus, or we don't live a consecrated life and we aren't. And it's just really that black and white. Well, Glenn, talk to me a little bit about where we see consecration uh, in the Bible. Well, it begins in the Old Testament, and more specifically with the priesthood. Originally, when you go into the story, you see when God delivered the children of Israel that they were to be a people that were fully consecrated unto God for the purpose of God, for the glory of God. And so originally it was to be a people that were a priesthood. But they rebelled against God, and in their rebellion, the Lord ended up speaking that he would 
have a specific people that would be now the priesthood, which would come out of the tribe of Levi, out of the family of Aaron. And so now you had this select family, this group of people that were priests, and they were to be consecrated unto the Lord. So there would be in the Old Testament all these rituals they would go through of cleansing and all the other things, and that will also tie into the ideas of sanctification, but they were to be consecrated and set apart for the Lord's purpose in this office, and it was to serve God by serving the people. And so they would offer up sacrifices, you know, sin offerings, thank offerings, and so on, all the other sacrifices that were involved for the sake of the people so that the people could be in right fellowship with God. So, Glenn, take this into the New Testament for me. How does consecration apply to the New Testament Christian and to the church? When we come to the New Testament, we have something very different. The priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood is done away with. And that's something that really whole portions of the church has, has missed because they now still have this formal priesthood. In the New Testament, it's the priesthood of all believers. We are all called to that life of consecration. and We are all called to dedicate ourselves in service and worship uh, to God and then to service and, wor- and, uh, and to service to people. So this is to be something that all believers are to be involved in. And so... In essence, by becoming a Christian, we are God-ordained to be a priest, to worship God, to serve God, and in serving God that we learn how to rightly serve other people. There's no place in the New Testament where people who are Christian can do nothing. There's no place. It's not even a thought within the Bible. It is something that is involved in the aspect of being truly set apart to be God's and are dedicating ourselves to him. Glenn, you remind me that Peter, writing to ordinary Christians uh, living in Asia Minor, said to them that we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That's in the second chapter of First Peter. Talk to me about our role as this new holy priesthood. Well, that really does tie into the aspect of sacrifices, because in the Old Testament, the priests were to be consecrated. By consecrating themselves, they would be set apart, sanctified by God, and made holy so that they could offer up sacrifices for the sake of the people. And also, they'd have to offer up sacrifices for themselves because they were sinners that needed forgiveness as well. The sacrifices that we are to offer up uh, can only be acceptable to God when we are his, when we are set apart for God and for his purposes. Because somebody goes into a worship service and sings songs doesn't mean they are offering up sacrifices that are acceptable to God. The life must first be acceptable, and when the life is accepted by God, then the sacrifices are accepted by God, and until the life is accepted, the sacrifices won't. And so it is the responsibility of those who are truly consecrated unto God to live life of sacrifice in worship, in praise, in service to others, in just what we do in pursuing holiness, but we are to be a people that are set apart for God, consecrating ourselves because we have come to love him. Glenn, take me to Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage to many, but this is perhaps one of the best places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about 
a believer's act of consecration. So walk through that with me and explain it to our listeners. Well, let me read the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Mm-hmm. A phenomenal section of Scripture and some very profound truths if we take the time to understand. All of Christianity is really summed up in these two verses. This is what we are to be. This is what a Christian is. And if people are not living these two verses out, then they are not Christian, no matter what they claim. So consecration is to define the life. It is to be who we are. It's not something we just do. It's not something we do Sunday morning. Either we do it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, or we don't do it. Right. And so there's no little addition of the Christian life to an individual. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must follow Jesus, and it must define our lives. So when we see this, we are to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. It is something we give the entirety of ourselves on. When you look at the Old Testament, the sacrifice in the Old Testament, people didn't go up to the priests and say, I'll give you half a lamb, or how about if I keep the hind portions or something for myself? When you offered up a, an offering, you gave the whole thing. And when you gave the whole thing, you gave up ownership. You didn't keep part of it for yourself. You didn't say, I want this portion, because if that was the case, God wouldn't accept it. And right. he rebuked the priesthood in a very serious way in the Old Testament because they were offering up sickly animals. This is in the book of Malachi. Mm-hmm. Sickly animals. And they thought, well, God, he's not smart enough. He doesn't know the difference between wholehearted devotion and half-hearted devotion. But he does. And he knows the reality of those who are truly consecrated to him, that their life is defined by that love and service to him and those who aren't. And so we must offer ourselves of our own free will. And so that's one thing that Paul is bringing up here. But he's saying, I urge you, which is very strong words. Mm -hmm. I urge you. It's like, this is imperative. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You must do this. And if you don't do this, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. Now, we don't like it that point blank, but that's the reality of what the Word of God teaches. And either we're going to believe what the Word says or we're going to have to reject it. But if we want to go to heaven, we better make sure we're doing it God's way. So we have to do this of our own free will. He is not going to make us twist our arm, force us. We must willingly give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And it's the only way that it can be pleasing to God. It's the only way. We cannot be pleasing to God if he's forcing us to do something. Or if we're doing it out of, out of we have to, I just, I, I, I got to do this, or I'm going to go to hell. He wants us to do it freely, and for it to be free, it must be out of love. It must be out of true devotion to him, which is always out of a, a desire of love and wanting to know this God. And so we become living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God because we begin to love him and want to be near this God. And from that, we become holy and pleasing to him. So there is the potential for us as individuals to be pleasing to God. He made it obtainable. He hasn't made this impossible. He's made it obtainable. So we can live victorious over sin, over sexual addictions and any addiction that we can have because all sin is addictive to the human personality, all of it. So it's not just sexual sins. The the sexual sins that define people 
they just grab hold of an individual in a particular way, but you can have people just as wicked, just as sinful in gossip and contention and bitterness and whatever sin you want to name. So this deals with all the issues of the life, and there's the victory that God offers us. Then we are told that all worship flows out of our being a living sacrifice. And it's the only way that it can come. I mean, either we worship him freely because we are going to love him, or there's nothing of worship that comes out of us. Worship is acceptable to God when it is done God's way, not our own way. And so there's so many examples of that in Scripture, of men that that didn't worship God's way and receive judgment as a result. And, you know, we are to do it God's way, and when we do, we can know that it will be acceptable. So he's not going to take anything. We can't just give him the leftovers of our life. We can't give him the the scraps off the table, in essence, like we would give a, a doggy. You know, God's not a divine doggy that will take the garbage. He wants the absolute best of our life. And so it's to be worship that flows out of being a living sacrifice. Well, I think it's safe to say that the essential act of worship in the New Testament church then is still sacrifice. We no longer offer up lambs and bulls for the forgiveness of our sins because the one-time sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for all time. But we still place ourselves on the altar, as Paul said, as a living sacrifice to the Lord. This is consecration. So, Glenn, finish the verse for me because there are profound implications to a consecrated life. Consecration, then, is seen in the choice to not be conformed to this world. Right. It's a choice. It has to be a choice. I mean, it can't be forced. You can go and live on a desert island by yourself, but that doesn't mean the world is out of you. It just means you're on a desert island not having the other influence. But a worldly heart is a worldly heart, and it's a condition of the heart. And we can live in the midst of a corrupt culture and be consecrated to God because in the midst of this culture, we are choosing not to be conformed to this world. And to conform to this world is to conform to its love, its desires, its ambitions, its dreams and passions and all those other things. And, you know, I don't need to take time to go through all those. I think we understand them relatively well if just we want to understand it and really apply it to our life. But consecration is going to mean that we are not conforming to the world, a deliberate choice. And we can see that. We know if we're honest with our own hearts, we can see the areas that we compromise, that we have conformed to the world, whether in our thoughts or, or actions or whatever. And we have to make the choice to begin to say, God, I don't want to live conformed to this world. Help me to live separate. Now, living that separate life unto him doesn't mean we live in some, that we live some monastic life. It just means that we are living separated unto him and we're not letting the world define our life. And then the consecration has another act in it. And this has to do, I would probably say a little bit more with the sanctifying work of God, but where our mind is being transformed. So here you would have consecration, sanctification working together. If I want to think like the world, God's not going to stop me. If I want to act like the world, he'll let me act like the world if that's my choice. But if I want to be conformed to Christ, if I want to become more like him, he will help me to think differently. He will literally do a transforming work in my mind. But here's one of the big things that really, really helps with the transforming of our mind, and that's the Word of God. Mm -hmm. If we are not immersed in the Word, we are not going to think like the Word of God. We will think like the world. 
So we have to make this deliberate choice that we are going to take the Word in, we're going to love the Word, we're going to read the Word, and begin to let the Word of God define us. And then we're as we are going through the Word that we begin to say, God, transform my thinking. I know I am still conformed to the Word. Help me to change here. Help me to change there. I'm having this struggle in this area, whatever it is. And we're asking for the change in how we think. We got ourselves in all kinds of sin issues because we were thinking like the world. And because we're thinking like the world, we're loving what the world loves, loving what the sinful nature loves. And if we want to live differently, we need a spiritual revolution on the inside. And that's really what's going on here. To not be conformed to this world is this revolution that takes place in in our heart and our mind where we begin to change on the inside. And when we are being changed on the inside, the outside will begin to change. Then consecration is the only way that we can know God's will. Now, I think something that is so interesting here, and I hear this all the time. I talk about people and pray this for people all the time. But, you know, somebody will come up. I may be in meetings, preaching or whatever, and they'll want prayer. And they say, well, I need to know God's direction for my life. And I always take them to Romans 12, 1 and 2, okay? God gives us a promise, a good promise, a sure promise. You want to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life? Then live surrendered. If you aren't surrendered, you will not know God's will. So I could put this very simply. The surrendered man or woman are the only ones that will know the will of God. Those who are not truly surrendered will never know the will of God. And it's that cut and dry. I mean, it's just either we're going to say, yes, Lord, I want you to transform my life and my mind. I want to be a a different person. I consecrate myself to you. And then we can know his good, pleasing, and perfect will, or we say no. And then the only will we're going to know is our own. We'll finish up our interview with Glenn Meldrum in a bit. But right now, I want you to hear from Steve Gallagher. We're talking today about consecration. Consecration is the very personal dedication of our lives as a sacrifice to God. Our lives are yielded to Him. It is a reality. It's not something that can be faked, at least not to God. He knows whether or not you're truly consecrated. It's not something that you do for show. It is a real-life dedication of your heart and life to God. Steve Gallagher challenges us to make our consecration real as he exhorts us from the Scripture to live in God's presence and be blameless. I want to read something from Genesis 17. Really, it's just one statement. But as I was meditating on it, I was thinking about there's two different forms of Christianity. One form, the the easiest way to make it simple is to say that one is outward and one is inward. That's the simplest way to say it. One is religious and one is spiritual. One is taken up with the forms of Christianity, the, the rituals of Christianity, how you look to other people, the image involved, doing the things that are expected by our Christian culture in America. An outward form of Christianity. There's that. And all you men in the program came here from that culture. You did that thing. 
But something was wrong inside, right? Something was lacking inside. It was a spiritual life with God. All right, so just keep that as a in the back of your mind. Let me just read these first two verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. And I wish I could just somehow stamp that into your brain that when you live, leave this place, that's all I care about right there. If you would just do that, I would be one happy man. Just live in the presence of God and live a blameless life. Never mind about all the religious stuff, all the outward trappings, how you look, and, you know, making sure you dot all the I's and cross all the T's of, of the culture, the, the Christian culture of our day. Making sure everyone sees you in the way you want them to see you and that no one could possibly criticize you. Throw that all away and just do this thing. Live in my presence and be blameless. That's it. That's all that God requires of you. Live in his presence and be blameless. His presence is there for the taking. You don't have to go home to a dead existence. Something is being put into you while you're here in this place. You're learning to humble yourself before the Lord, to seek him with all your heart. And if you will live your life that way, his presence will fill you inside and you will take his presence with you when you go home. And then living a blameless life will not be that difficult. It will be second nature to you because you will have the spirit of the living God indwelling you and influencing you, having a tremendous influence inside of you that will then translate into the way you live your life when no one else is watching. Live in my presence and be blameless. Live in my presence and be blameless. That's what the Lord would say to you. Live in my presence and be blameless. Don't worry about all the other stuff. You do that and you won't go wrong. Lord, I thank you that you are a mighty God. You could show up at any time. Abram was 99 years old and all of a sudden, there you are. His eyes were opened and he saw the Almighty and you spoke with him and you promised a covenant with him. You promised to multiply him greatly. All you asked of him 
was to live in your presence and be blameless. Lord, as you know, we live in a time when we have allowed the culture to dominate us inwardly, to dominate our hearts and minds. We've allowed ourselves, our inward life, to be overrun by the spirit of this world, all the while keeping up a religious appearance to those around us. Lord, I just pray that you will get it into us all, the importance of living in union with you, in humility before you, walking with you, conversing with you, living in your presence, walking blamelessly before you. We just worship you, Lord. You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy to receive our, our praise. We honor you, Lord. We glorify you. In Jesus' name. Next, we pick up in our interview with evangelist Glenn Meldrum. Here he goes on to explain and lay out for us the very practical applications of living a consecrated life. I'm sure you'll agree with me that for the committed Christian, there is no other way to live the Christian life than completely consecrated before God. All right, Glenn, you've given us a biblical definition for consecration. You showed us a tremendous example of it in, in Romans 12. It's application time. How do we apply this truth about consecration? And really, what I'd like you to do is give us the biblical reasons why we should live a consecrated life. Well, there's many of them, and I'll only touch on a couple. And I'll take you to the most important first. And uh, we're to live consecrated so that we can fellowship with God. Just that simple. I mean, that's the treasure of Christianity. It's The treasure of Christianity is not heaven, is not streets of gold, is not blessings, prosperity, whatever people might say today. The the nitty-gritty is fellowship with God. Right. That's what heaven's all about. It, you know, we'll, yes, we'll live forever. Yes, we'll see whatever heaven is going to be like and look like. But the prize of pro- all prizes, the eternal prize, will be fellowship with God forever and ever and never have a place where sin will ever enter in to break that fellowship. Mm-hmm. So a consecrated life in this world is really trying to learn a little bit of what it is to have God's will on earth in our life as it is in heaven. So we're going to him and say, God, help me to fellowship with you as close as I can as those redeemed saints in heaven right now fellowship with you. Help me to walk that near with you. And the only way that we will really have a desire to live consecrated, and this is so serious, is that we have to live the greatest of all commands, which is to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you really get down to it, every single sin, every sin, there's I don't care what name you give it, every single sin is an attack against the first and greatest commandment. Every single sin takes us away from that first commandment. Whether it's the self-life or whatever it is, it's, it's taking us from that commandment, break, causing us to break that commandment. And if we want to do God's good and pleasing, perfect will, then we have to consecrate ourselves to him 
and consecrate ourselves in choosing to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we can't do that, then we have to be uh, brutally honest with ourselves and with God and say, God, I'm not loving you like I should. Help me to love you. And the truth is, is that there's not a person living on this planet that can say, I love him enough. So none of us are at that point. All of us need to love him better. And the more we love him, the deeper we love him, the more our life will be conformed to his image and the deeper the fellowship that will come out of that. And so that's the, the, the beauty of this consecrated life. I think so often people think this, you know, living consecrated is that I can't do this and I got to do this and all these do's right. and don'ts. And they fail to understand the prize. It's not that I can't do things and should do other things or whatever. It's the aspect I'm called in the fellowship. And so the prize is the fellowship. And so these other things that are contrary to fellowship should start falling off my life. And those things that should be added in my life, I'm wanting to put there because I want that fellowship with God. And so I have to make a, a, a purposeful consecration where I choose to love God. And I cry out to him for the grace to love him more and more day by day. And also another thing with that is I have to pay very close attention to my heart. Because if I don't, my heart can begin to wander and I've not even known it, not even understood it. So we need to guard our heart, as Solomon said, for out of it flow the issues of life. We need to guard it, protect it. We need to watch it closely because we all have wandering hearts. And if we don't guard our hearts, keep that heart consecrated in love for God, then our heart will stray. And when the love of God is not defining us, then there's nothing left to protect us from the world. You see, when we stop loving him, it opens ourselves up to all kinds of other sins, sexual, drugs, I don't mm -hmm. care what other, what sins it is. Without, it's loving Christ that keeps us in this place of wanting to live a sanctified, consecrated life to God. If being consecrated to the Lord, being dedicated to him, brings about fellowship with God and allows us to live out that first great commandment, I assume you're going to tell me that it applies to the second great commandment as well. I've pastored altogether for 17 years, and being an evangelist for 23 years, I've been in ministry for a while. Prior to that, I was saved in a genuine revival, and I have seen the church be beautiful, and I have seen the church be really, really ugly. Mm -hmm. I have seen the church just tear each other to pieces, and whenever we break the second commandment, which is to love others as we love ourselves. Whenever we break that commandment, it's because we're breaking the first commandment. We can never live out the second commandment till we live out the first. And whenever we're breaking the, the second commandment, it's because we're breaking the first. So it's really the problem of not loving one another is going back to our problem of not loving God. If we want to remedy our loving other people, then we must remedy our lack of love for God, of our not being consecrated to God in loving devotion and loving obedience. And so this consecration that we're to have for fellowship one to another means that we begin to act like the church, that we begin to, okay, here's something crazy, love each other, all right? I mean, it, this should be so easy, yeah. but yet how many churches out there are just filled with contention and strife and gossip? How many people out there are tearing up their pastor and chewing them up and spitting them out, you know, and that they think that they're wonderful Christians, but yet their hands are stained with blood because they are breaking the second commandment because they're not truly consecrated in the first commandment in loving God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. The more we love God, the better we'll love one another. And when we love God correctly, we will love each other correctly. And when we love each other correctly, we can see the church be absolutely beautiful. Mm.
It can be something like is no other place on this on this planet. The church has the ability to be a, a paradise, in essence, in this world, a refuge, uh, this, this place that we can go and run to and find the, the grace and strength and power amongst the believers. And it's beautiful when it's lived out, and it's terrible when it's not. And unfortunately, the more people give themselves over to sin, the more the works of the flesh are going to be made manifest in the church. And this is a terrifying thing that's going on right now all over the country. And as an evangelist, I'm saying this because I see it. You want to talk about one of the hardest ministries? It's pastoring. Because people can abuse their pastors in a horrendous way because they are not consecrated unto God. That's serious. You know, people don't chew up their pastors and spit them out because they're consecrated unto the Lord. Mm. They do it because they're not. And they chew up other people and, and because they're not. Why is it that husbands and wives can have nightmare marriages? Because they're being wonderful and Christ-like? It's because they're breaking the first commandment to love God with everything, so they cannot live out the second commandment to love their spouse. It all goes back to that first thing of consecration to Christ, which is going to be expressed in loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so if we're going to love others and be consecrated to God in loving others, then we've got to make sure that we're loving God the way that we should. Glenn, consecration is a picture of offering something up to God on the altar. Uh, Paul said in Romans 6 that we're to offer ourselves up and our members unto God as instruments of righteousness. And you've already shown us how in Romans 12 that we are to be living sacrifices unto God. When something was placed on the altar, God deemed it as holy. What are the implications of consecration toward a Christian today living a life of holiness? I don't know how it's crept into the church, but it's a terrible problem we have that people think they can be Christian and they don't have to be holy. But it's a problem. It's a terrible problem. It's a distortion of grace. It's a a cheap grace that has crept into the church. And so people are living in sin all the time, all kinds of sin, whether it's fornication, whether it's sexual, other sexual sins or homosexuality or whatever. I mean, whether it's hatred or bitterness, people can be filled with so much evil and yet think that they're okay with God because maybe they go to church a couple times a month and so they think that they're dedicated and they fail to understand that because they are not consecrated to God in fellowship through loving him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, they are not consecrated to him in true practical holiness. You see, holiness grows in the heart of a Christian when they love God. And the more we love God, the more we want to be holy. The more we want everything out of our life that is displeasing to him. And so the more we want to be set apart for God's good pleasure. It's kind of like a a little boy or a little girl that, that just loves daddy. And just the desire of this little child is to make daddy happy and you know, that's what it should be. Our love for God should be so deep and so rich in us that we just want to bring joy to his heart. And all he would have to do is whisper in our ear saying, son, stop that. And we say, yes, father, because we love him that much. Mm -hmm. And when he says, child, do this, we say, yes, Lord, I love you. And those things flow out of us because we are consecrated to love him, consecrated in this fellowship with God. We want to be near him. And so holiness flows out of a life that is loving God. And when people are not holy, you have a screaming neon sign that is saying this person does not love God. They may have sentimental notions. They may have all these feelings, 
but the reality of truly loving God is not there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. I think it's interesting. I'll read the rest of that in just a moment. But what is the aspect of, of being holy? It's living in peace with all men, okay? Mm-hmm. Then he says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That is a non-negotiable absolute in Scripture. Either we are holy by divine decree because we have repented and holy in the aspect of practical application in our daily life, either we are his or we're not. Either we're doing it or we're not. And we have to be very careful because when we try to, to bridge this thing and say that I can be in compromise and sin and still be Christian, um, I don't know where that line is, but I don't want to find that line. You know, I want to walk as much in the kingdom of God as I can, as far away from that barrier that leads into the world, because I want to make sure I'm as much in Christ as I can be, not because just I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, but because I have come to know the depths and heights and riches of his love, and I don't want anything to separate me from that. Glenn, I know that you've spent 25 years as an evangelist, and so evangelism is your heart. But we've talked before. And I know you believe that consecration has ramifications for the average Christian and how we are to fulfill the Great Commission. Talk to me about that. Now, further application of consecration is going to be seen in what we do with our faith. This is serious, and people don't understand it. How can I have a burning passion for Jesus and not want to do something in my life for him? I mean, it's just, there has to be. When you see all kinds of people in the church that do nothing for the kingdom of God, there's something wrong there because that's not Christianity and it's not what comes out of love for God. The greater our love for him is, the more our heart wells up within us and we just want to share the joy of what it is to know this God. We want others to know the freedom that we have found in Christ, the victory that we have now because of his grace and mercy and that we're learning what is to be separated unto him, consecrated for his purposes and goodwill. And so when we're consecrated to God, we will want to fill the Great Commission. It is the divine purpose. Now, sometimes that Great Commission may be seen in a way of just building the church from within, and others may have it directly in the mission field or on the streets or whatever. But one way or the other, the body of Christ should be building the body of Christ, making it strong, making it healthy, bringing in fresh people into it. And that's a, a, a part that is so important that when we're consecrated to God, we want that to be there. And we're not doing it for selfish reasons. We're not doing it because this is how we're right with God. But there again, it flows out of being consecrated to God in loving fellowship, this loving obedience. We love him. We want to be with him. We love his nearness. And the overflow of that is just the great commission coming out of us. And so we're told in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. But it doesn't stop there. There's a little bit more, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. We cannot be followers of Jesus and not become fishers of men. The one goes with the other. Consecration is consecration to God and consecration to his divine purpose in this world, which is to seek and to save what was lost. Okay, Glenn, as we wrap up today, There was one last thing that we want to cover 
about living a consecrated life unto God. And that is that consecration allows us to receive the blessing of the atoning death of Christ. What was it you wanted to share with us about that? And the final thing that I would share is that we are consecrated to receive the blessings of the atonement. There are no blessings that come to the Christian apart from what comes through the atonement. Okay, if I might word it like that, the atonement is a door that opens a door to all the other blessings that are there. A parable that is so powerful, and I don't have the time to take to get into it deeply, so I'm just going to make a couple points, but it's radical. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in the story, you have a Pharisee and a tax collector in the temple at the time of the either the morning or evening sacrifice, the atonement sacrifice, and they are there praying. The Pharisee is all full of self. He's praying about himself, and, you know, it's just how great he is, and he is preaching through his uh, prayer at the tax collector because he looks at the tax collector as some great sinner, and he's such a righteous man. But the tax collector is there, and he won't even go up close to the altar. He's standing at a distance because he doesn't feel fit or worthy. He's beating his chest, and the beating of the breast is an expression of tremendous agony. Mm -hmm. That's a, a mindset that's in the Middle East. It's still there today. You can see it at times, and predominantly this is with women, but you can have them lose a, a, a family member, war, whatever, and you'll see them beat their, their breast in agony. And so to have a man here beating his breast is speaking of a conviction of his sin that is deep, profound, and, and just wrenching him on the inside. He has come to see that he's a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Most Bibles translate that little phrase that the tax collector says, be merciful to me, a sinner, where actually the Greek says, be to me an atonement, be to me an atoning sacrifice, or be to me a propitiation. Mm. So this is taking place at the evening or morning sacrifice. He's there and he is weeping and agonizing over sin. He's seeing the sacrifice taking place on the altar and he's saying, be to me an atonement. That's what I need in my life. That's what I have to have. And when you look at the end of the parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee and the tax collector leave the temple, but now the names are reversed. The tax collector goes first, and he is justified. He has been forgiven. He has been made clean by God. And the Pharisee leaves. His name is second. He has been set aside because he did not receive the benefits of the atonement, because he did not see himself a sinner and didn't see his neediness. And so the ability to, to receive the blessings, which is forgiveness, which is mercy, which is the kindness, which is help and grace and all the, the blessings that really come, that are really needed for the Christian life in this world, come through the atonement and are seeing our neediness and coming to him and saying, God, I'm needy. Be to me a propitiation. Be to me an atoning sacrifice in my life. I need forgiveness. I need power. I need victory. And uh, what a phenomenal, brilliant story that Jesus gave us here. Well, Glenn, you've shown us that consecration is a dedication of our very lives, our bodies unto God. Uh, there are great benefits. We consecrate ourselves to God. That relates us in fellowship to him, to our brothers and sisters. Consecration is the uh, act that leads to holiness, and it sets us apart for divine service. Thank you so much for your time today and for really showing us what the Bible teaches about consecration and the role it plays in helping a man gain freedom from sin. Today we asked the question, 
What role does consecration play in freedom from porn? Let me close today by making this final application. In Romans 6, Paul is telling us how to be free from slavery to sin. That's what every man who struggles with sexual addiction wants to know. How do I shake off sin's hold on my life? And in verses 12 and 13, he gives us this command. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The word presenting here in these verses is the word for consecration. You are presenting yourself and the very members of your body as an offering on the altar of sacrifice to God. You are giving yourself to God as a gift, as an act of sacrifice in worship, reckoning yourself as dead to sin in Christ's death, but alive to God in his resurrection. You are laying everything you have and everything you are on the altar in dedication and surrender to him. That daily act of consecration is a key factor in gaining freedom from sexual sin. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield Him your body and soul. Oh, we never can know what the Lord will bestow of the blessings for which we have prayed till our body and soul He does fully control and our all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield Him your body and soul. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.